HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Airway, and uh, it's a beautiful, sunny, sunny, spring-like almost uh, Sunday here in Brooklyn. Uh, maybe that's uh, maybe there's a spring season coming really soon ahead. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Um, we have a really fun one today, and I, I got to say, it seems like we've been talking a lot about food and love on the show lately. Um, I don't know why that is. Maybe we'll have to rename the podcast. We'll see where that goes. Um, but Because my guest today has written a really wonderful novel called The Arrangement. And uh, it, it takes on a historical figure, um, but it is a fictional account of her work and her life. And uh, it's one of the most pivotal um, like persons in food writing. Uh, many of you may know of her. It's MFK Fisher, who is sort of like the mother of modern day narrative food writing, uh, meeting not criticism or journalism, not really recipe writing, but a certain brand of personal essay uh, featuring herself as a subject, but told through the lens of food. So MFK Fisher is the main character in the arrangement written by Ashley Warlick, who's on the phone right now from South Carolina. How are you, Ashley? I'm great. How are you? I'm great, too. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so this is your fourth novel, actually. Um, you've written several other, you know, you've written for, let's let's just go through it, The Oxford American. You've written for McSweeney's, Red Book. Um, you're also the recipient of an NEA fellowship at the Houghton Mifflin Literary F uh, Fellowship. And um, you are also a buyer at the M. Judson Booksellers and Storytellers in Greenville, South Carolina, where you live. Yeah. Um, so congrats on all that. Um, we're really excited about this book. It, um, it came to me by such a surprise. And um, I just love, I love the focus of it on, on this character, MFK Fisher, um, you know, who is someone that was so, you know, she was so formative um, for many food writers today, but she didn't actually write fiction as far as I know. Is that correct? 
Well, you know, it's funny you would say that. I think mm-hmm. that's a great introduction to her work. Um, she did, in her lifetime, publish a novel called The Boss Dog, hmm. um, which, uh, you know, according to all sources, is pretty autobiographical. Uh-huh. And then uh, very recently, her estate uh, published a novel uh, that she had written in the 30s called The Theoretical Foot. No. Um, so she, you know, she did occasionally drift into uh, fiction. She wrote like a demon. I mm-hmm. mean, the woman published some, you know, 20 books in her lifetime, um, but was a letter writer, was a journal mm. keeper, was one of those um recorders of her thoughts and her interior that I really envy. So it doesn't surprise me that that she has other talents sort of lingering out there. Yeah, she was quite prolific. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is in the 30s, which was sort of her heyday for writing, just to acquaint everyone there. Um, So how did you come up with the idea of writing about her life? I know that there was a biography in 2004 that um, really told the whole story about MFK Fisher's life, which... Sounds like it was fascinating. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Joan Reardon published mm-hmm. uh, the first uh, sort of comprehensive biography of Fisher's life, Poet of the Appetites. Um, and I picked that up about 10 years ago and, you know, devoured it. I had probably read here and there, um, you know, essays uh, mm-hmm. by Fisher and had read How to Cook a Wolf and Consider the Oyster, but had not delved into her her full catalog as it were and um her biography was a surprise to me the uh the portion that really lit me up um was when she was first beginning to write mm-hmm. um you know when she was first getting um manuscript pieces together for for what would become serve it forth which was her first collection of essays and and it really was a new kind of writing for the time mm-hmm. um, particularly from a woman. So, you know, I was drawn to that instantly. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love this book, and I love how it takes us through, uh, yeah, the beginning of her career, but also it focuses on a certain love triangle, um, an affair that she has with, yeah. Um, yeah, with a peer, actually, a fellow writer, and, um, and of course, her husband, whom, you know, there was a little, uh, yeah, love triangle between <laughs> their other yeah, the last... Kind of- and, and it, you know, I mean, again, uh, to find that she was discovering herself as a writer at the same time that she was making some very drastic mm. and dramatic dis- personal decisions um, was, uh, you know, that's where the fiction writer and me kind of sat up straight. Uh, but yes, she, um, around the time that she began writing these essays, she began sharing them with a family friend. Uh, she and her husband, Al Fisher, lived next door to the parishes. Mm. And Tim Parrish became a mentor really to them both. Um, just one of those people that, that Fisher would describe for the rest of her life that, that could inspire others. Mm-hmm. You, I have to say, you did an amazing job because, um, you know, a lot of people might already be a fan of MFK Fisher, but you have added so much dimension to this character, someone who was very prolific about her life, right, already. But um, you, I mean, anyone who's a fan of her work knows that, you know, her writing about food was often dripping with, like, sensuality. And, yeah. um, you know, she was an immodest writer. Um, and, and here you create a portrait of a woman who is just that. And really yeah. bring that to life through through these really you know racy moments and um, 
yeah, pivotal moments that, that you create this drama that is so gripping. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, my primary resource in researching this book after Reardon's biography and another biography that came out while I was working on it was Fisher's writing herself, you know. Mm -hmm. um, she has in this first collection, Serve It For, she has this beautiful essay called Borderland mm -hmm. that um, sort of transcribes or, or describes the this it's the whole focus of the essay is secret eatings that we all have secret things we do to feed ourselves and she's waiting for her husband al to come home from from his uh, afternoon classes and she they're living in strasbourg at the time and she describes with just painstaking gorgeous detail peeling these tangerines and um then drying them on a piece of newspaper on the radiator and plunging them into the snow before she eats them this process of eating um, that must have taken hours. Mm -hmm. And anybody who spends that amount of time on a personal sensory experience is, uh, is, a, is somebody who's going to be really interesting in other sensory experiences, yeah. I think. So I could really learn a great deal about her from reading her, her food writing, I think. Yes, the secret eatings. I love that description. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so much we... I think, you know, you read in, in fictions about so much about, you know, secret hungers and longings and, uh, you know, things that didn't quite happen and so forth. But it sounds like, you know, and through reading this book, MFK Fisher was a kind of person who very much went for things. She just had the guts to act and and do. And she was quite fearless in both writing and also um, love affairs and risky you know, exchanges in that. Um. I, I think that's true. I think it's true. Um, I think she became that person in the period that I'm writing about. I mean, before um, she sort of stepped into her own light as a writer, uh, she was very devoted to her family. The mm. Kennedy family was very close, knit. She was the eldest child. Um, she had a sister who was about 18 months younger, and then she had two much younger siblings. And so she often acted as helpmate and caretaker and, mm. and confidant. And she, I think she had this role that um, she was also pulling away from in this time where she was becoming an independent woman, making independent choices that, that really, you know, again, inspired the timing of this book, too. One of the things that is so much fun about reading this book is that in, even just talking to you when you mentioned, you know, like consider the oyster and like how to cook a wolf or and like I'm wanting to like go back and like read in tandem some of her <laughs> yeah, work yeah. and then another chapter of your book. And then it's it really is complimentary, this experience. And yeah. so you created something really new, I think, with this book, which is something that you can dig deeper into. And it's there, you know, there's other layers to it. I, I mean, I'm thrilled to hear you say that. I obviously um, could not have written this book without a, a, a tremendous connection and passion for her work and respect mm -hmm. for her work. It was so important to me writing this to treat even these scandalous mm -hmm. choices that she was making with, with a measure of consideration and respect because she is such a hero of mine on the page. Mm. Let's talk about Tim. So this is the affair partner um, that she has yeah. a long affair with during the course of this book. Um, and he's also known in her essays by a certain pen name. What was it again? Sir? Shade Brace. And it, my French is terrible, but it's, 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 it's a, the name of a French town or a Swiss town near where they all live together in Switzerland. But it's 
C-H-E-X-B-R-E-S. Okay, Shabre. So that's his code name in her writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But so he sounds interesting to me because early on he seems to really recognize and appreciate her talent as a writer. Um, and this is a sort of genre, I, I mean, that didn't fall into any particular genre at the time, what she was doing. Um, right. Most people didn't get her type of writing. They said, you know, why don't you just do what normal women write about or something? Right. And right. Uh, But he actually is very supportive of her and, like, helps her through the writing of her first book. How unusual was this um, for a man to to really recognize and support? I, I must sound really jaded right now, but uh, no, <laughs> I don't think you sound jaded yeah. at all. I mean, I think even in um, you know even in today's mm-hmm. time, uh, you know these these mentor relationships are so extraordinary mm-hmm. that we I think we begin talking about two very particular people rather than two genders. You know, but it is true that uh, Tim not only supported and encouraged her at a time when I don't think women um, were encouraged to step outside of the, you know, the term. The literary boxes that exactly. that be, yeah. Exactly, but he, um, I, I think he felt none of the threats hmm. that say Al, her husband, did um, by being involved with a creative person, a creative woman, being involved with someone who, who was creative in, in the same way that you were. I mean, Tim had published a novel before um, he and, and MFK Fisher knew each other. His sister was widely published. She was sort of the Danielle Steele of her time. Um, hmm. And I think, you know, and perhaps that shaped him a little bit as well. He had a he had a sibling who was very comfortable in this arena. But I also think that Tim was just one of those people who was wildly comfortable in his skin and hmm. so wanted to see that and encourage that in the people that he loved. Well, that sounds like the ingredients for a really thrilling romance to people yeah, who are really, <laughs> really, you know happy in their skin yeah <laughs> yeah and i mean fisher would go for the rest of her life um and she had many varied and interesting relationships that followed right. this period right. and and the rest of her life she would refer to him as as the love of her life wow um, I love that um, you, you create these um, moments that, um, well, you wrote in, in some little little press little ditty here <laughs> that uh, you begin to see the ways that um, the elasticity of marriage was perhaps for MFK something similar to the elasticity of storytelling. The truth is what you make of it. Mm. Hmm. Well, I mean, that was... That was the revolution for me, right? Yeah. So I had read, I had read essays of hers, and I understood that there was a person named Shebray in her life, mm-hmm. and and I understood that she was married as a young woman, and and I understood that she later had children. But when I was able to lay a, a, a timeline down mm-hmm. of of signposts, a map, she had been here, she had done this while she was married to Al. She had been here, she had done this while she was living with Al and with Tim um, in Switzerland. It it definitely created a, a different sensibility mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. about who she was and what she was capable of. And I think um, it infused my, my rereading of her work with an understanding of an emotional, um, you know, sort of understory yeah. that uh, that really uh, amazed me that I think she was able to carry love for both of these men for a long her time. Her husband, right. 
at the same time. At the same time, yeah. And, you know, this book took 10 years to write, so my history of it is also very interesting. I mean, at the same time, I'm seeing, like, the Mark Sanford unfolding on television. Mm -hmm. um, Living here in South Carolina, you know, we heard a a great great deal of that for a long time. And and I remember this one story of Jenny Sanford, um, you know, Mark Sanford coming to her after his affair had come to light and asking her advice. You know, mm-hmm. because she had been his campaign manager. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see these moments where people are asked, as married people, to step into other supporting roles for each other, even though their emotional connection might be in tatters. And I'm always fascinated by mm-hmm. these places where we sort of stand up and do something right and true and strong for someone who we might be furious at. And I think yeah. that happens a lot in marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's so many truths that are uncovered um, in, in a really raw way, in a really matter-of-fact way sometimes in, in MFK Fisher's work. And um, it sounds like you are channeling that um, through her story, which is I just I love how meta this all is. <laughs> it's really cool. I know. It is, kind of, um, isn't it? You know, um, so let's talk about the scene where um, we're... Mary Frances Kennedy, MFK, <laughs> I forgot to say your name this whole time, um, and Tim are having a meal in uh, Dijon. Mm-hmm. And this is a place where she has spent, you know, countless meals with her husband, even celebrated anniversaries and so forth. And um, it, is, it is, you know, where she learned a lot about French food and so forth. But um, at the same time, she's, she's betraying her husband, yes, by being there with Tim. But it's also sort of a, it's, do you think that it's sort of also like an olive branch or like a gesture to her marriage at the same yeah. time? Yeah, I mean, to me, this moment, God, I mean, here's an example. Uh, this this moment um, was one that she wrote about in, in one of her most famous essays called The Standing and the Waiting. Okay. Um, so it, 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 it occupies space in the same collection as the essay I spoke about earlier, Borderlands, where she's waiting for her husband. So here we have this creative elasticity where she's able to write about her devotion and this, this revolutionary moment in her affair at this, in the same collection. Mm-hmm. But um, to me, this piece was so important to include. Right. In, in the arrangement, in the fictionalization of what was going on because of the many different layers mm-hmm. that it exists on. It is Fisher trying to share her history, her past, her formative um, experiences with her lover. It is Fisher trying to uh, really? recast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, she's trying to, to, to have this experience with Tim that will be just as much ballast later in her life um, as the as the original one with Al, it's just a such a powerful, powerful moment. Particularly when you understand where she was in her personal life, which she is not forthcoming with in the essay itself. Yeah, and that's the essay true. Still rocks, but you know what <laughs> that's I mean? true. That's funny, and yeah. I love how it's not told with like pangs of of guilt or shame, but but rather with with just generosity and love. God, I mean, that was the challenge, because Mm -hmm. so much of her, I mean, like I said before, she was such a journal writer and a record keeper, but um, through various points in her life, there was was clearing of the decks, and Mm -hmm. um, uh, she threw a great deal of this away, um, and we have little to go on um, in terms of what her interior life was like during this time, 
but for these people to have lived amongst each other and tried to support each other for as long as they did, there had to have been some measure of generosity, didn't there? Yeah, yeah. You have figured out so much about um, this, you know, this life for 10 years, too. I want to get to more of that, Ashley, um, but we'll be right back after a quick little commercial interlude. Okay, thanks. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. All right, you're listening to Eat Your Words. Today's guest, Ashley Warlick, the author of The Arrangement, a novel. And let's talk about what 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 do we call this novel? Because um, it's... I guess it's historic fiction, or would you would you call it that, Ashley? I guess I would. Yes. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, I think that's the easiest way as a bookseller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the easiest way to talk about it. Okay. Um, okay. So, how does one? You know, I'm sure there's many gatekeepers here and many um, things you have to clear before you can just up and decide to write um, a fictional novel based on the life of, you know, say somebody who's deceased. And uh, somebody who has a lot of fans and and, mm. and has an estate with a family. And, like, how do you how did you navigate that? Well, you know, um, stupidity is sometimes your friend. Ah. So I, you know, in 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 actuality, uh, if a person is deceased, there's a lot fewer gatekeepers. Okay. Um, and if th- their life is part of public record, as mm. hers was, um, then, you know, that, that also minimizes hey. uh, your, your need to worry about that sort of stuff. I actually did not have any contact with the family while I was working on this book, and only very, very recently, as in like 10 days ago, um, <laughs> met her daughter, Kennedy Golden. <laughs> wow. Which was just an she... amazing experience. Cool. Um, Kennedy is... It, it, generous lovely person and um you know she was she was very she came to a reading that i gave in california and um we spoke beforehand and she said you know very frankly and she looks like her mother it's, it was kind oh of my amazing. gosh wow um, she she said you know we we all really wanted to hate this book <sighs> we so we found that we could not and she you know she was pleased with um again the respect that i treated her mother's story with and that was a tremendous tremendous relief for me wow yeah how scared were you Um, you know you know how you can feel your heart like hammering Uh. i could feel my heart hammering (laughs) through my back (laughs) well that's a really lovely outcome (laughs) as i said just a, a lovely lovely person um, yeah, this is a new thing for you because you have written novels that are not about historical figures before. Um, so tell us, tell me a little bit about you know your work and, and where you're trying to to go next, perhaps. Yeah. So my my three previous novels are all sort of 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 a similar bent in that mm-hmm. they're southern um, settings, they're southern family dramas. I am very interested in uh, our you know, relationships that we have with the people that we are born to and the people that we are not born mm-hmm. to. So, um, and I think that that translate, transferred um, 
to the arrangement. But um, as for what's next, it's interesting. I got very interested uh, in another historical marriage um, of about a year ago, uh, Anna and Archer um, Huntington. Um, okay. Anna Hyatt Huntington was a sculptress, mm. and in the 1920s, the highest paid female artist in the, in the country. Really? Yeah, and she sculpted these huge bronze um, statues from usually from live animals. Um, she has a Joan of Arc that's actually in New York, uh, but she didn't. She married uh, late in life. She and Archer married in their 40s. So, the idea that this wasn't about having children, this wasn't about financial security, this was a marriage about something else, uh, was fascinating to me, of course. And mm-hmm. and I started sort of playing with um, with their their life together a little bit. They had a summer house in South Carolina in the 30s that was sort of cobbled together uh, rice plantations. And um, Anna and, and Archer traveled with her animals that she mm-hmm. that she worked from. So they had sort of created this camper that, that had monkeys and, and bears and dogs, and, and they hauled it from Connecticut to mm-hmm. South Carolina every winter. Oh so, God. I mean, it sounds like this a great is, novel, doesn't it? This is so cool. <laughs> um, you, you really, you know, some, as they say, you can't make that shit up, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> that's really interesting. Exactly. Uh, and their house is on the coast, is, is now a state park, and I was touring that last summer, and I'm really amazed by the again the confluence of interesting things. But I think I'm I've, I'd like to move beyond writing sort of a straight interpretation, okay. um, a historical novel about right. them, and really think about ways that this fits into a larger story. So yeah. that's what I'm working on now. Cool. This is so cool, Ashley. Yeah, um, wow. What? Are, okay. So what's what's more interesting, fact or fiction, in your opinion, these days? Yeah. You know what? I'm really getting to the point in my life where imagining how the hell people did what they did is kind of the most interesting thing. Mm-hmm. So some sort of factual thread yes. um, is, is what is really lighting me up right now. Um, and then, I, you know, we'll see where that goes. Because I feel like I've kind of done that at ground zero with Fisher. I mean, there was so mm-hmm. little um, emotional record to go on with her that I, I really felt like I was making up a great deal of her interior, of all three of these people's interior lives, but I did have a very clear map of where they were and when they were there and who, who exactly was, you know, playing at that time. Um, and I, I think I'd probably like to step away a little bit from, you know, following that closely mm-hmm. along a history and, and um, get back to, to sort of imagining mm. the land. This is really cool. Um, to be honest, your work right now is really lighting up what I do because I get pitched so many, you know, when I tell people this is a food book podcast, you know, often I just get cookbooks or, um, you know, occasionally it'll be like a political sort of manifesto. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting really interesting works that sort of cross the line and, and having to do with food, I think is really broadening what our understanding of food writing is and and can be so yeah it's that's really exciting to me so yeah i Thank you. um i recently read uh jay ryan Stradolf's yes. kitchens of the great right. midwest which i think is that's just a great one. example of of really passionate connection to food launching into another stratosphere Mm-hmm. hopefully getting that one on the show soon that is great. really cool so um ashley and last but not least tell me a little bit about your bookstore 
Um, and why, yeah. why you started it. That's really cool that so, you're an author with right. a bookstore. Myself and, and three partners started M. Judson um, in July. We opened our doors. So we are in um, a historic family courthouse building. So it's this gorgeous building in the dead center of, of our little downtown, which is quite a little foodie place itself. Oh. So um, we specialize in cookbooks and food writing, cool. kids' books, and then southern um, fiction and nonfiction. So we have new releases. They're very, very hand selected, and our shelves are full of the stuff that really feeds us. So um, it's been marvelous. That we is have had really just neat. a really great, great response from the community, and we do a lot of food related events. One of my partners and I. Um, are involved in an edible magazine. I know you guys have Edible Brooklyn up there. Mm -hmm. um, we have Edible Upcountry, and mm -hmm. I'm the editor, and one of my partners at the bookstore is a publisher. So we do yes. a lot of edible sort of the focused events here at the store, too. That sounds like a really great spot that you have there. And, um, you know, I love how curated and special it is, and, and it's really helping prove, you know, what brick-and-mortar stores have to offer that, you know, Amazon doesn't. So that's cool. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But really, Ashley, you got to come up to New York more often. We'd love to have I you do. on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to see you talk more about your book. Do you have, um, you know, do you have any other events going on that you want to talk about? Yeah, let's see. Um, I've got events going on locally through the spring, but I am headed up to New York this summer, and I'm hoping that maybe there'll be some book stuff related to All that right. as well. Where can we find uh, your website? Or Yep, okay. yep. I have a website, thank mm -hmm. God, AshleyWarlick.com. <laughs> cool. So we're definitely going to um, spread the word here at Heritage and um, really... Um, I, I love this book. I'm going to be spreading it physically to, amongst my friends soon. Oh, thank you. <laughs> too. So um, thank you so much for, for t coming on air to talk about this with us today. And, um, yeah, all best for thanks the next project. Thanks so much. Project. This was a great time. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 non-profit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.